Shalom and thank you for clicking to listen to one of our audio messages. At Tikvat David, we are building a Yeshua-centered Judaism for Israel and the nations. We hope that this message will encourage, inform, and inspire you to follow Yeshua and to walk in the pathways of Torah. Enjoy. Well, today we are going to cart- cover part two of our two-part High Holiday Primer series. And last week we had a good time going through some of the key biblical texts that either speak of uh, Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, or they're incorporated into the holiday liturgy. And this week, uh, we're going to dedicate our time uh, in a slightly different direction, uh, and we're going to discuss preparing ourselves for our high holiday services. Uh, I know some of you uh, will, of course, some of, some of our listeners go to Tikvat David and your members, or some of them might be visiting, or some might be it's too far for you to attend. I uh, just want you to know that you can attend our holiday services through the Tikvat, uh, live, the new Tikvat live streaming page. So on our website at tikvatdavid.org, you can click on services, the service tab at the very top, and then there's a, a, a click a section for live streaming. And whenever our services go live, that you know pops open and you can join us as if you're there. So we would love for you to join us for that. If you need a holiday schedule, that is also posted on the website uh, on the holidays page. Uh, and of course, if you need any help or need more details, you can email us at info at and we'd love for you to connect us. Uh, with us for the holidays or a regular Shabbat uh, via live streaming. So uh, the overall why for this two-week primer is really to prepare us to have a more meaningful, knowledgeable, and I would say worshipful Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And my specific hope for today is that by reviewing the flow of some of our services and discussing some of the key prayers, services, you know, customs, high points, uh, my hope is that all this will help us to be ready to just have the best Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur we've ever ever had. Uh, and I would say, you know, great holidays, whether it's Rosh Hashanah, Passover, Hanukkah, uh, you name it, I would say they're defined primarily, primarily, first and foremost, by a great sense of Hashem's presence in our community and a sense of just personally drawing near to Him uh, in new ways. Of course, there's lots of fun and there's lots of food and there's Great times together and good services and music and different things. But really, these are God's appointed times. And it's really about meeting with him. So that really is the most important component, and I would say central component, of the holidays. So may Hashem bless us uh, as we meet with him on his appointed times, these wonderful holidays. Okay, so let's start and look at the Rosh Hashanah services. So uh, just to get you thinking, you know, when you think of Rosh Hashanah services, and it's totally, I am so happy if if you're thinking right now, I've never been to a Rosh Hashanah service. If that's the case, boy, am I glad you're listening. And I hope that uh, at some point you'll either join us online or in person at Tikbad David. And uh, we'd be honored for you to, to experience it for the first time uh, with, with us at our synagogue. So, uh, but I'm, I'm guessing that most of you listening have either been to many Rosh Hashanah services or at least a few. And so what comes to your mind? Uh, I'm thinking, uh, first and foremost, you're probably thinking shofar, right? Uh, shofar, or in Rosh Hashanah services, maybe you remember that we pray and sing uh, the Avinu Malkenu, our, the our Father, our King prayer. Of course, there's thematically, there's lots of calls 
uh, for repentance, to do teshuva. There's the story, the Torah reading, dealing with the binding of Isaac. And of course, there's apples and honey and round challah to, you know, symbolize uh, a crown as, you know, because we're, you know, God is our, our king, uh, that we are really crowning him king as it were during this holiday. And then there's more apples and honey. So uh, all those images are, are part of Rosh Hashanah. Uh, so I, I want to start by um, uh, just as we're thinking about our Rosh Hashanah services, uh, saying a few words about them. First of all, Rosh Hashanah begins in the evening of Friday, September 18th. So that is uh, almost here. So that means uh, actually this year, and this happens fairly often, that the first day of Rosh Hashanah, it overlaps with Shabbat. Uh, Now, keep in mind, very important, uh, it is customary to not blow the shofar on uh, on any era of Rosh Hashanah. So if you uh, <clears throat> if you have ever been to a to a, a synagogue where they blew the shofar uh, on era of Rosh Hashanah, that's not normal. Uh, that's not customary. I, I wouldn't say it's wrong. It's just not the way that uh, you know it's normally done in in Jewish tradition. Okay, so so that won't really be anything different. <clears throat> Excuse me, that won't be anything different uh, than usual Tikvat Devi this year. If you come to our Friday services, uh, just like if you were on another year, if Rosh Hashanah started on a Tuesday evening, you won't hear the shofar in the evening. Okay, uh, and, and again, that's that's the case at uh, most, overwhelmingly, you know, most synagogues. But what will be noticeable this year is that because of Shabbat, uh, we will not blow the shofar during the first day uh, on, on the first day of, of Rosh Hashanah, so on on that on Saturday during the day. So, of course, this raises the question, why? <laughs> you know, why don't we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah? Um, and so the Talmud says this. It says, quote, If the holiday of Rosh Hashanah falls in Shabbat, the shofar is sounded in the holy temple, but not in the land. And that comes out of tractate Rosh Hashanah in the Talmud. Okay, so that's... That's interesting. So according to the Talmud, the shofar can be blown in the temple, but not in the rest of the land of Israel. And so by extension, obviously, if it can't be blown in the rest of Israel, it can't be blown anywhere outside the land of Israel. Just kind of that's that's just reasonable um, logic there uh, that, that's, that's understood. So again, more questions here. Uh, why would it be permissible to, to blow the shofar in the temple? but not in the rest of Israel and beyond. Well, okay, specifically uh, and, and halakhically speaking, uh, as the sages of Israel you know, wrestled with these issues and, and thought them through, uh, there, there are there, this has to do with carrying on Shabbat. Um, some of you may have you know, be, be more or less familiar with in Jewish tradition and, and sort of Jewish legal practice. Um, of, of kind of how do we do Shabbat. There's what, what's called the, the 39 melachot, 39 categories of prohibited things on Shabbat. And there actually, there's a, there's a, um, uh, this, this is based on the things that were prohibited uh, to do uh, in the in the construction of the temple, excuse me, the construction of the tabernacle on Shabbat. So it's a much larger issue here. But the issue, I don't want to get too too complicated, but um, there is there are certain customary, traditional, and, and legal uh, in Judaism prohibitions and carrying on Shabbat. And so these specific, you know, the specific halakhic rulings uh, have to deal with carrying things from a private to a public domain uh, on Shabbat. And the concern, so specifically dealing with 
with the shofar is that this would be violated with folks carrying shofars uh, all over the place. Thus, again, we're making a long story short and a complicated legal situation simple, but it was decided that shofars are not to be blown if Rosh Hashanah occurs on Shabbat and thus the violation of carrying won't, won't be an issue. Uh, and so the issue, it's just important to know, the issue isn't with like blowing the shofar itself. It has to do with the carrying of the shofar to get where you got to go. All right. So for us, uh, you know, one of our values at Tikvah David is that we honor Jewish tradition. Uh, we, we, we do everything we can and uh, to, to do that. And so we will honor this Jewish tradition by not blowing the shofar uh, on Shabbat. And then we'll just do what the rest of the Jewish community does for the most part. And that is blow it on day two of Rosh Hashanah on Sunday, the 20th. Rosh Hashanah is a two day uh, holiday uh, customarily. And so we will do our shofar blowing on uh, the uh, Sunday. Really looking forward to that uh, as well. And so uh, now as far as the flow of our services on Rosh Hashanah, uh, just want to encourage everyone to, to review the detailed schedule that I've been sending out for the past few weeks. And if that's, uh, again, if you're um, not a, a, a Tikvot member or regular attendee, you may be like, what do you, t-, you know? What I'm referring to is that we, we have like the 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 schedule we put on the website, but then we have a more detailed schedule, like so that you know very specifics, like you know when is uh, some of the liturgical prayer services and so forth. So look, if you any of that you want to participate in, just email us at info at tikbatdb.org, uh, and we'll be happy to get that to you. The the schedule that's on the website is basically our live streaming schedule, and it's basically our. Uh, main slash family services for the holidays, but uh, we have more going on than what is on the website. Okay, so uh, most of the schedule is self-explanatory, but I do want to highlight a few things, and again, this is uh, applicable uh, whether you're interested in the schedule or not, um, and that is, but this is actually a, sort of a, a logistic thing. If you want to do the full Arab Rosh Hashanah liturgy uh, at Tikvat David, you do need to get to Tikvat pretty early on Friday evening and, uh, and, and keep uh, keep in mind we'll, the, the majority of the liturgy that we do um, is, uh, is at early points on the schedule. And then the later family services that are listed on the website and listed on the uh, schedule, uh, they include... Um, uh, the, the, the liturgy is earlier, but the family services include a little bit of liturgy and the Torah readings and the drashas. Uh, okay, so if all that's confusing, don't worry. Email us. We'll clear it up for you. So, um, But we're, we're looking forward to that. Okay, so um, it's going to be a great time, though, to seek Hashem together. Now, I, I do want to note uh, a significant point uh, in the liturgy uh, that is unique during the entire 10-day period. Uh, if at any point um, during this time that you're praying the Amidah, so the Amidah, of course, are the the um, 18 benedictions that are the, it's the central prayer in the Jewish prayer service, but it actually evolved into 19 benedictions. Um, it's also known as the Shemoni Esrei. Uh, but during the Amidah, you'll notice that there are four additional statements uh, included in the Amidah that we say, that we add between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And each of these statements is related to the concept of life. Uh, these additional statements mention concepts such as the book of life, remembering us for life, God's mercy for life, and so on. So an example of this occurs in the first blessing uh, of the of the Amidah, 
the Avot blessing, uh, there's an added line there, uh, kind of at the, towards the end of the prayer, uh, where we add the following words. It says uh, in English, remember us for life, O King who desires life, and, and inscribe us in the book of life for your sake, O living God. So in that one statement, uh, there are four references to life. Now, because of its prominence uh, in both the Bible and during the 10 days uh, during you know, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, I want to discuss that concept of the book of life a little bit. Of course, the, the book of life is, is, a, is a big concept during, uh, during the Yomim Noraim, the 10 days of awe. And it's mentioned many times in the Bible, especially uh, it's especially mentioned quite a bit in the New Testament. A few examples include, uh, Paul mentions it, Philippians. Philippians 4.3, he says, uh, just really in passing, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And then in Revelation 21, uh, it says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's Revelation 21, 27. So I'm curious in your mind, like as you're thinking about the book of life, how how would you sum it up? I mean, what, what is the book of life? And again, there are more references. There are some references in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, and more references in the New Testament. Well, um, I sum up the book of life uh, simply as, as like the book of righteous people, the book of the tzaddikim, the, 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 the people, the people of God, if you will. Um, some call it the, the roll call of heaven, if you will. Uh, and, and largely during the days of awe, uh, we pray that Hashem will help us to get rid of and confess anything in our lives that doesn't belong among the, the heavenly or among the righteous. So that's, that's what we're doing. We're coming to him as, as God's people. And, and we want to like, you know, we're, we're in the book of life and we want to act worthy of that. And so along this line of confession, of, of coming before God, uh, and confessing our sins, which is such a such a biblical thing to do, uh, you know, to do teshuva, to return to Him. Uh, there's a there's another big prayer along this line that we recite during Rosh Hashanah, and it is called Avinu Malkenu. Avinu Malkenu. Oh, such a beautiful prayer, and it just uh, goes. You know, we we say that over our Father, our King, is what that is in Hebrew. We normally say this prayer uh, on Rosh Hashanah. Uh, after Shacharit, so after the morning prayers, and after and and you know as part of Mincha as well, and and then we say it throughout the ten days. We don't just say it on Rosh Hashanah; we say it throughout these ten days. Uh, however, um, we we very important. Um, we don't say or sing Avinu Malkenu when Rosh Hashanah uh, is on Shabbat, or you know we don't say we don't ever say. Sing or say of or the the prayer of Enum It's fine to say the words of Enum but the prayer itself we don't say it on, on Shabbat. So actually, on the first day of Rosh Hashanah this year, uh, you you won't hear it uh, during um, you know again um, if you're if you're going any place that that honors and respects traditional Judaism and traditional Jewish prayer, you're not going to hear of Enum uh on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. And there are two main reasons for this, and it's pretty interesting and significant. Um, you know, the custom is on Shabbat, uh, we don't ask or pray for specific things in the liturgy. Now, it's fine to come before God anytime, Shabbat or otherwise, to, you know, pour out our hearts and, and so forth. But in the liturgy itself, we, we, 
we, we try to protect and to, to keep the mindset that look on Shabbat, it's a taste of the world to come. Uh, the, this, it's so, so we want to have a sense of contentment and we put aside, you know, worldly concern, not, not necessarily worldly concerns, but we just put aside our concerns to really try to focus on a relationship with God and the world to come and the kingdom. So in the liturgy, we don't ask or pray for specific things. And, and Avinu Malkenu, the prayer, it's really filled with requests. So that's one reason we don't do Avinu Malkenu on Shabbat. And then the second reason is actually quite interesting and it's historical. Uh, Avinu Malkenu was originally composed long ago, uh, according to tradition, by the great Rabbi Akiva, uh, who was uh, not long after the time of Yeshua. Uh, But it was actually, so the tradition goes, uh, Rabbi Akiva composed Avinu Malkenu uh, for a fast day during a time of distress. Uh, so it was like this this sort of this really difficult prayer, like, you know, trying to bring people back to Hashem and confessing. And so because of the origins of the Avinu Malkenu prayer and that association, the sages concluded that Avinu Malkenu was really not appropriate to pray on Shabbat because we're not supposed to associate with anything distressing on Shabbat. Uh, so we will, again, honoring that tradition, we'll recite Avinu Malkenu uh, during the 11 a.m. family service on uh, Sunday the 20th, so on the second day of um, of Rosh Hashanah. And when we do, uh, you will feel, as we do every year, the incredible pr- power of this prayer. Of course, it's the prayer, the power is truly coming from God, but the words and the connection with Hashem, uh, as with this prayer sort of serving as a, I guess you could say, a, a vessel to do that, uh, it's really it's really just amazing. So the, just, just the first few lines of Avinu Malkinu go like this. Our Father, our King, we have sinned before you. Our Father, our King, we have no king but you. Our Father, our King, act benevolently, benevolently with us for the sake of your name. Our Father, our King, renew for us um, a good year. So, and then it just goes on from there. It keeps going, Avinu Malkenu, Avinu Malkenu, Avinu Malkenu, where we're just really coming to Hashem. And, and pouring our hearts out before him, just wanting to, to draw near to him in every way that we have pulled away. So, you know, there are many important components to this prayer, and I encourage you to read it ahead of time. And even, again, if you're not able to attend uh, a synagogue in person or even virtually, read Avinu Malkenu on Rosh Hashanah. Read it and just, you know, put your heart into it. Read it in English. That's fine. Uh, but it, it really is a beautiful, timeless prayer. Uh, and so, you know, for me, as I think about Avinu Malkinu, uh, one of the greatest features of this prayer is just just the name itself. I love that, Avinu. God, he's our father, but he's also our king. And so with this prayer, uh, we acknowledge God as our sovereign king uh, who judges us within his empire. Uh, but at the same time, he's our father who is full of mercy and grace. A tremendous uh, apostolic statement along this line uh, that, that this uh, Vinu Malkinu reminds me of is Paul's words uh, to Titus in Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. I love this text. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Yeshua the Messiah, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So that's a tremendous concept 
to remember this season. Hashem has poured out his mercy, his chesed, and he's done it richly through Yeshua the Messiah. And a very powerful and symbolic way that we recall and embrace God's mercy is on the afternoon of Rosh Hashanah with the ceremony known as Tashlich. So this year, we'll be doing uh, Tashlich on Sunday afternoon. Again, Tashlich is not uh, performed. Uh, it's not done on Shabbat. And so we'll be doing it on Sunday afternoon on day two uh, at our usual spot on the Chattahoochee River uh, here that winds through the Atlanta area and is very close to our synagogue. And uh, and again, this is on the detailed holiday schedule. You won't see that online. Uh, but uh, this is always a favorite uh, moment, I would say, in, in the course of the year for, for many uh, in the Tikvot family. Uh, although really... Um, it's it's normally done in the the afternoon of, of Rosh Hashanah and day one if it's not Shabbat and day two if it is Shabbat, but it it actually can be done at any point during the ten days. So if you're listening to this after uh, you know day one or day two of Rosh Hashanah, you know and before Yom Kippur, go go ahead and go ahead and do um, Tashlik and and you can find it online. It's just a beautiful prayer. Uh, and it's, of course, it's a short but sweet time where we stand by a body of living water and we cast breadcrumbs into the stream as a, as a symbolic hope and confidence in Hashem's willingness to cast our sins into the depths of the sea, as it says in Micah 7, which we read during Tashalich along with the 13 attributes of God's mercy as communicated in the Torah. And so it's significant we stand by a river because in ancient times, kings were uh, frequently uh, crowned uh, by river, by the river. So it's, again, it's that combination of our father, our king. We're, we're doing something by casting the breadcrumbs into the water that, that symbolizes God's mercy and his kindness of our father. But we're standing by the river, in a sense, uh, acknowledging he is our king. And so I uh, love, love Tashlik, and I hope you can join us this year for it. Now, uh, quickly, and uh, we're about out of time here, but I want to say a few words about, um, uh, there's so much to say about Yom Kippur. Where, where do we start and stop? But I do want to say a few words about Kol Nidre. Uh, Kol Nidre, which means all vows. So on the first evening of Yom Kippur, uh, right, at, right at the beginning, or technically right before Yom Kippur, we have what is called Kol Nidre. Uh, again, it means all vows, and it's and it's uh, recited just before Ma'ariv uh, on the holiday. And now Kol, Kol Nidre is really considered one of the most important prayers uh, that we say throughout the year collectively, communally in Judaism. However, technically speaking, Kol Nidre is not a prayer. Again, Kol Nidre means all vows, and it's essentially it's it's really a legal ritual which nullifies vows and promises that were made under dis- under duress or distress. So uh, I'm curious uh, if any of you are familiar with the history and the origin of, of Kol Nidre. Um, you, you may know it. It's actually quite, uh, quite powerful, and, and I would say it's a little bit sad. It's actually it's very sad. Uh, it was Kol Nidre, uh, this sort of this, this legal um, transaction, if you will, to nullify vows, it was started uh, in medieval times as a way for Jews to nullify Christian and Muslim vows that they were forced to make uh, during the Middle Ages, these forced conversions. 
uh, or you know conversions under under severe severe threat, which of course is a forced conversion. So the Conidre legal formula was developed to make a way for forced converts to pray with the Jewish community, absolving them of the vows that they made under duress. So the Conidre uh, custom formula, if you will, it stuck, uh, and it eventually evolved into what we now think of as a prayer. Or even, you know, we, we think of it as a preliminary Yom, Yom Kippur service for us to ask Hashem for forgiveness uh, and to, for him to release us for careless and broken promises made to him and to others. And Kol Nidre is also just a, a beautiful time to receive Hashem's mercy. And thus we, we wear white on Erev Yom Kippur and throughout, you know, the day on Yom Kippur as a reminder of God's cleansing. And in fact, Erev Yom Kippur is the only time in the entire year that Jewish men wear a tallit at night uh, because of just the the unusual holiness of the evening. Uh, again, you may have been to a synagogue where maybe they were wearing tallits at night, uh, you know, the prayer shawls, but that's not customary. Uh, normally, you would only see tallits worn during morning services um, in a synagogue, uh, but that's different on Yom Kippur. Uh, we, we do wear the talit uh, or the talus on, on the night because it's just considered a, a very holy evening. And taluses are usually white, so we're wrapping ourselves in white. And so that, that's very rich and, and tangible symbolism. So, uh, so much to cover, so much more I want to say, but I'm going to stop here and just, um, just may Hashem go ahead of you. Uh, may he go ahead of me and us. Uh, for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And may we solemnly come before him with teshuva and may we joyfully receive his awesome mercy and forgiveness. I'll I'll close with a great text from uh, 1 John uh, 1 in the Apostolic Writings, which I think encapsulates the theme of the uh, the, the days of awe and, and even, I would say, more specifically, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So First John 1, verses 7 and 9 says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Yeshua, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Shabbat Shalom and Lashana Tova. May you have a sweet New Year for 5781. Thank you for listening to this audio message from Tikvat David Messianic Synagogue. We would love to get to meet you in person sometime at the synagogue, so come join us for Shabbat or one of the holidays. Also, you can join us in building Messianic Judaism whether you live in the Atlanta area or far away by financially contributing to our synagogue. You can learn about the options for giving under the Donate tab at tikvatdavid.org. At Tikvat David, we would love to have you stand with us as we are building a Yeshua-centered Judaism for Israel and the nations. Shalom.